0: So if you can turn with me to Psalm 28, right around the middle of your Bible. Psalm 28, the title of the psalm in the ESV is, The Lord is my strength and my shield. So Psalm chapter 28, we'll read all nine verses. Of David, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock be not deaf to me, lest you be silent to me. I become like those who go down to the pits. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cried to you for help, when I left up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil, who speak peace with their neighbors while evil is in their hearts. Give to them according to their work and according to the evil of their deeds. Give to them according to the work of their hands. Render them their due reward. Because they do not regard the works of the Lord, or the works of his hands, he will tear them down and build them up no more. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. The Lord is my strength and my shield. In him my heart trusts, and I am helped. My heart exalts, and with my song I give thanks to him. The Lord is the strength of his people, he is the saving refuge of his anointed, Oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. So about 20 years ago, in the summer of 2002, something pretty incredible happens. From August 14th of 2002 until September 4th, 2002. The Oakland Athletics won 20 straight games. And some of you guys might be thinking, that's great, but 20 games seems like a lot. Why are you talking about baseball with this stuff? It's because the Oakland A's didn't win it in the regular way that baseball teams usually win this stuff. They had this this manager, this guy named Billy Bean. And Billy Bean had this system, and the system was meant to represent, we don't need all these big-name players We don't need all this money. Here's this system, this code, that I have all these statistics. What I'm gonna do is I'm gonna build this team around these statistics. I'm gonna build this team around all these various facets in baseball that nobody really like used to think about. We wanted these big stars. Billy Bean was his representative of this system. It was called Moneyball. It was called, instead of buying all these big players. We're gonna use small things. All we have to do at the end of the day is score more runs than the other team. We don't need the big guys. So he, from then on, he was kind of this representative of we don't need those big guys, we don't need those big players. We can win games without all the without all the money. So Billy Bean, he was this representative. He was this guy who now we know, he's created the system, he's involved with this system, he's this representative. Of this system. So he's We see him as this. In kind of the same way, we see David as a representative of Israel. He's the king of Israel. He's, in a sense, the prophet of Israel. In another sense, he's also the priest of Israel. And this is all kind of shown to us in Psalm 20. Much as we see Billy Bean as a representative of a new way of doing baseball, the new way of scoring baseball, David is representative. Of Israel, and so we see in Psalm twenty-eight as we read through this, David's pleading to preserve his people. He's the he's this rep- he's this mediator. He's a representative of his people. He's pleading to preserve them, his people, in this land of promise. He has this code, he has this covenant. but Christ, as we'll see later on, promises us the eternal promised land even in the midst of our exile. So David is praying for promise to stay in the promised land. To keep us out of exile, we have Christ, the promise, even in exile. And so there's three distinct movements in Psalm 28. And these movements, I think, that David is showing us, is the first movement, the first two verses, is he's, he's invoking the name of the Lord. It's another way of saying he's praying on behalf of his people. Is he's pleading on behalf of his people. And the second movement, after he's praying for his people, is he's pleading, he's interceding for his people. So he's invoking, then he's interceding, and the last one, he's reigning for his people. He's uplifting his people, he's shepherding his people, and we'll see that points us to Christ. So the first two verses of Psalm 28. If you look, to you, O Lord, I call. My rock be not deaf to me, lest you be silent to me, I become like those who go down to the pits. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help, when I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. David begins with this call, and this call is not just in some random closet. He's not going out to the fields and and invoking the name of the Lord and saying, I really want you close. If you guys notice, the end of verse 2 is this most holy sanctuary. Another another way of translating this is the most holy place, the Holy of Holies. And this word is used 10 or 15 times in 1 Kings 6 to 8. It's a big Solomon temple. It's where all the sacrifices would have happened this is where the Ark of the Covenant was. So when the Israelites go through the exile, or they go through the exodus, they have this tent, they have this tabernacle. This Ark is there, and this Ark represents this temporary presence of Yahweh. And so David's telling us, I'm not just making this plea randomly. I'm doing this in the temple. I'm doing this for my people. I'm doing this in front of Yahweh, this Ark of the Covenants. I'm pleading on behalf of my people I'm invoking, I'm showing you my priestly duties. My priestly duties are to go in front of Yahweh to plead on behalf of my people. So it's very specifically that inner room. So the second second half of verse 1 also shows us some things as well. So those who become like... So I become like those who go down to the pits. The second verse is, is... Idiomatic, it's another, it's another way of saying those who are down in the pits versus those who are up outside of the pits. Those who are in the pits, they're silent. They're unable, unwilling to worship. And those who are in the pits don't receive blessing. Don't receive that communion with Yahweh. Which is why David asked in the beginning... I call to you, Lord, don't be silent to me. Don't be deaf to me. Those who are in the pits are silenced. Those in the pits cannot praise Yahweh. Those in the pits don't receive that blessing as well. And deafness and silence is not just physical deafness and physical silence. As we heard a couple weeks ago as well, there's, Isaiah 35 has a reference to this as well. Those who are deaf and silent is not just deafness and silence in the physical sense. It's very, very specifically towards worship. They don't worship, so there's silence. They don't receive blessing because it's deaf. And then those who have the ability to speak, like we've seen in Mark 7 a couple weeks ago, it is for the purpose of praise it is not just to receive the ability to hear and just the ability to speak it is for the very purpose of praising and so those nations that are outside of israel right now so they're in this land they have this covenant they have the tents they have the temple they have the ability to praise to worship near the tents Those outside of Israel are in exile. They don't have this ability. And so he's saying, don't make us like them. Those who are outside in the pits, don't push us out into exile. Keep us in your covenant. Keep us in your loving kindness. There's no praise or blessing outside of Israel. There's no praise or blessing outside of that tents, outside of that tabernacle. It's exilic silence. It's this pushed out silence. And so David is pleading and interceding for his people. Lifting up the hands was another duty of the priest. As he places the sacrifice and as it gets burned up, he lifts up his hands into praise. saying, accept this sacrifice on our behalf as our repentance. So David's continually pleading Do not make us like those who have been pushed out of your name. We do not want to go in exile, because exile is separation from your blessing. So he's acting in this, these first two verses, he's acting kind of like a priest. He's interceding on behalf of his people. And like I said, this Most Holy Sanctuary shows us this as well. And this is pre-exile. So in in this beginning section... David's invoking, he's mediating, he's representing his people in front of this tent, in front of this tabernacle. <laughs> Much like at the beginning when I talked about Billy Bean. Billy Bean was a representative of the A's. So when the reporters want to talk about a game won or a game lost, they don't talk to the players, generally speaking. They talk to the manager. They talk to the guy who runs the show. So when they talk to him, he represents whatever he says goes. If something good on the field happens they talk to Billy Bean. If something bad on the field happens, if his system isn't working, they talk to Billy Bean. They don't talk to the players. Much in the same sense we see with David. David represents his people. And so he moves from the first two portions, these first two verses, into this, this plea. We see not just that he's asking to stay out of exile. We actually see kind of the contents. Not just asking to keep us out Not to be silent towards us, What actually is the contents of his pleading. What is the contents of his intercession. So there's a lot, if you notice as well, there's a lot of first persons in this. What I mean by that is, he says, I am calling, I am pleading. He continues this in verse 3. Do not drag me off with the wicked, with the workers of evil. Give to them according to their works and according to the evil of their deeds. He's again saying, this is me. And we'll see later on, he expands this from I to they and yours. But he starts off a lot with I and me. He's saying, I am the representative. I am the one who is under this. And so these verses, like I said, are likely the contents of David's plea for mercy. And as alluded to earlier, this, these pleas have the sense of the fear of exile. He's saying those who are dragged off with the wicked, that dragged off is not just, oh, they're they're gone. It's they're pushed outside of the presence of the tent. They're pushed outside of the presence of the tabernacle. So He must make this. It's It wouldn't have been, he wrote Psalm 28, and then just kind of left it off for another day, like, I'm good now. I've made my plea once, I'm good. It's likely he made this a lot. He made this constantly. He's continually pleading, because he knows, in himself, in his priestly and mediatorial, just his representative function, that's not enough. He's got to make it a lot. He's got to continually plead in front of Yahweh. And the speaking evil in their hearts, right at the end of verse 3, who speak peace with their neighbors, while evil is in their hearts. Jeremiah uses this language. Jeremiah 9.8 And Jeremiah 9.8 is in the context of exile. He's telling Israel, those who are in exile, this is what they do. And so at the end of verse 3, he's saying, don't do this to us, because that is exile. When we're around those who speak peace, while evil is in their hearts, that is the essence, for David, of exile. And it can be quite odd as well. We're used to, at least New Testament or in our own reading, We're used to pray for your neighbors, pray for those who persecute you. And so verses 3 through 5 can kind of give us pause. We can ask, why is he asking them, why is he asking Yahweh, give to them according to their work, give to them according to the evil in their hearts, according to the evil of their deeds, according to the evil of their hands. Why is he not asking for mercy? Why is he not praying for his neighbor. We know it's, it's an expansion of a New Testament concept. Playing off of this as well. But also with David, David's under the law. David's under Moses. David is mediating over Israel under the law. And so he's saying those who are outside of Israel, those who don't have this covenant with Yahweh, their works are rendered to them according to that same law. They're not outside of this. Israel has this presence of Yahweh, so they have been covered. Those outside of the presence have not been covered. And so their works are rendered to them according to their works. And so David is, is seeing through this lens. He's seeing through this lens of the law, saying those who fall short, fall short according to this law, and they would have seen this the same way as the Pentateuch, because this those first five books of the Bible. So David's asking and rendering these judgments according to the law. So in these three verses, these iniquity workers are, are seen through the lens of the law to approach and to threaten David. When David's saying, don't send me off with the wicked, don't drag me off with the wicked, to do this to David is to do this to his people. To do this to David as a representative of the king is again to do this to Yahweh. And so he's, though he's saying I, as we'll later on see, this is also representative of his people, and of God. So in this section, these, these three verses, from verses 3 through 5, we see the first two, David's kind of invoking his, his priestly status. And this one, he's kind of invoking a little bit of his prophetic status. He's rendering judgments. But he's also asking not to be placed into that same judgment as well. And so he, after moving through these first two sections, praying and pleading, giving us the contents of this prayer and this pleading, he ends with the answer. And what's significant about this answer is verse 6, Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy, this is the first time he uses it. In the first 28 psalms, this is the first time we see the blessing formula. When it says, blessed be the Lord. When he says this, and he goes through this content, for he has heard the voice of my pleas for mercy, he's confident, even though they're in the midst of this promised land and praying against this exile, he's confident his prayer is going to be answered. He's not just hopeful. He's confident. For he has heard passage. He's founding the promise. He's founding his confidence in the promise. He's heard the voice of my pleas for mercy. So he's assuming this positive outcome. He knows Yahweh is his Lord. He knows Yahweh is there for his people, will preserve them in the midst of exile. And so after he begins with this blessing formula, after telling us, after telling the people of Israel, please don't put us into exile. Please keep us in your presence. Please keep us in your tents. Please keep us in your tabernacle. Don't drag us off with those who are outside. Don't do to them what you might do to us. Don't do to us what you've done to them. And in verse 7 through 9, is kind of like the content of verse 6. So it's almost like, why bless the Lord? So when he goes from verse 1 to 2, and then explains it in verses 3 to 5, it's kind of the same thing he's doing in verse 6 and then 7 to 9. He tells us what he's doing, and then he tells us why he's saying it. So verses 7 and 9, likely the context of what this answer prayer is. And we start seeing this switch, too. This switch from verses 1 through 7 of a lot of I and me. He's saying, don't drag me off with the wicked. I make these pleas for mercy. Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy. When I cry to help, there's a very definite switch in verse 8, if you notice. Even after verse 7, and with my song, I give thanks to him. And he goes immediately to the Lord is the strength of his people. So he starts off by saying, I am the representative. I am the one who represents my people. I am their prophet, their priest, and their king. I am their mediator. Then he says, But I am acting on behalf of my people. The Lord is the strength of his people. He is the saving refuge of his anointed. So he switches... And so though David is praying, and though David is praying for himself in these first couple verses, in reality, him praying for himself is praying for his people. It's not two separate ideas. Because he's their representative, he prays for his people. At the very end as well, oh, save your people and bless your heritage. Be their shepherd and carry them forever. David was that shepherd. and shepherd language, especially in the Psalms, is usually used for kinks. It would have been like a rule. Take your flock, take your sheep, and rule them. Not in a bad sense, but rule them, again, according to what Yahweh has said. David was that shepherd. Shepherd them and carry them forever. So he's pointing to a coming true shepherd. Shepherd your people... And carry them forever. And so at the end of the day, we can see from Psalm 28 so David's clearly praying for his people. He's asking them to be preserved from exile. And we wonder as well with Christ. Christ was that true representative who did pray for his people. But what's significant with Christ is he was the one who was put into exile. So while David is praying to preserve us from exile, Jesus was the one who was pushed out of Jerusalem onto the cross. He was the one who was exiled. When David's asking, Do not drag me off with the wicked, Jesus was the one who was dragged off with the wicked. Those two thieves on the cross at the end of the Gospels, Jesus was counted as one of those thieves. He was counted. As a rule breaker. Second Corinthians 5 talks all about this as well. He who knew no sin became sin for us. And so we can see all these things that David's asking to be preserved from, Jesus says, I will take those on. When David's asking, preserve us from iniquity workers, Jesus says, I will become as an iniquity worker, because we ourselves are those iniquity workers. We're the ones who should be dragged off with the wicked. We're the ones who should be given according to our work. We see Jesus is the one who takes on this blame and says what David was praying for because he couldn't do this himself. All he could pray for was, don't put me there. I can't take that burden. My people can't take that burden. We can't take that burden. You can't take that burden what David's saying is, I can't do this. Christ's saying, I've done this. I was one who was rendered an iniquity worker. I was one whose sin was placed on my shoulders. I was one who was pushed outside of Jerusalem. I was pushed outside of the Holy Land. I was pushed onto the cross to take on the iniquity worker's sin, our sin. And so all of this stuff points us, David is acting as a representative, but he's pointing us not just the one who will represent his people, but will take on his people, who will give his people a promise in the midst of exile, versus asking to be taken from exile. And so this reminded me of Heidelberg Catechism, Lord's Day, number 12, question and answer 31 and it says why is he called christ that is anointed and it answers because he has been ordained by god the father and anointed with the holy spirit to be our true or be our chief prophet and teacher who has fully revealed to us the secret counsel and will of god concerning our redemption our only high priest who by this one sacrifice of his body has redeemed us and who continually intercedes for us before the father our eternal king who governs us by his word and spirit, and who defends and preserves us in the redemption obtained for us. So when David's pleading and praying on behalf of his people, we get the true prayer, the true pleading, and the guarantee in John 14 17 with the high priestly prayer. When Jesus says, All that you've given to me, all whom I represent, I have presented back to you perfect. I have presented back to you. What only David could pray for, Jesus does. Jesus does. We see that in John 14-17. When also Jesus cried, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? You have left me. You have counted me as one of those sinners, which is the very thing that David's asking them not to do. Don't carry me off with those sinners. Jesus is saying, I have been carried off as a sinner, to cover your sins, to be obedient under the law that you have not fulfilled on your own. So all of this, Psalm 28, again we see David is pleading on behalf of his people. He's pleading to stay in the land of promise, to not be put off into exile. And we as Christ followers are promised That eternal land, that promised eternal land, even right now in the midst of our exile. So we can be confident right now in our exile, in your exile, whatever it may be, because we have this promise versus fearing what's to come, fearing anything after this, because we have the blood of the true representative over us, the one whom David pointed to us, the one whom David pointed towards in Psalm 20. So again, as we though in exile, as pilgrims on this foreign land, have the true promised land to look forward to, even in the midst of exile, we have Christ who has promised this to us, took on this burden on our behalf, became like sin for us. Israel had a temporary residence that they tried to stay in. They tried and failed. However, we look forward to, you look forward to, an eternal residence that is absolutely guaranteed no matter how bad the exile gets. Let us pray.